If you've ever taken any pickleball instruction or even just looked up some pickleball instruction online, there's a very good chance that you've come across certain suggestions about the right way to play pickleball, certain orthodoxies, certain things you should just do because, well, they make sense. One of those things might be returning serve and running to the net so you can join your partner up near the non-volley line and be all scary and ready to pounce. Or you've definitely heard about how you should serve and stay back so you can allow that ball to bounce the second time after the returners play it to you. And while there's a lot of things that I think make a lot of sense when it comes to patterns of play, there's also some bits of advice that maybe deserve a little bit of pushback. And over the last week, I posted two things pushing back against some of the common ways we think about playing pickleball. And today we're going to talk about those. I'm Mark Renison, and welcome to Pickleball Problems. All right, today on the show, we are talking about two conventional ways of thinking about pickleball, pickleball movement patterns or pickleball strategies that maybe deserve a little bit of a second thought. And one of these has to do when it comes with the soft game versus the hard game, when you should speed things up, when you should slow things down. And the second thing is really focused on working with new players. And so whether you're an actual coach who's getting paid for your work, whether you're a volunteer who's regularly helping out the pickleball community in your area, or whether you're someone who just likes to introduce the sport to new players, you are going to want to stick around to hear about this. Hey there, it's Mark. If you're a pickleball coach, then you know how tough it can be to create new interesting lesson plans for your players. The same old drills, the same old games, and the same old teaching points don't typically excite people to keep on coming back. So that's why I've put together a series of my very favorite lesson plans. They're fun, flexible plans that you can use no matter what skill group you're working with or how long you're on the court. Let me give you an example of some of the plans. We've got lesson plans that are all about starting the point effectively, whether you're the serving team or the returners. Want to help your players develop better third shot drops and drives? And most importantly, to know when to use each? Well, we've got a lesson plan for that. You can help your players with their defensive skills, help them put away balls when they have the opportunity, and learn how to use different kinds of spin in different kinds of situations. Our premium lesson plans might be just the thing you need to help keep your pickleball lessons feeling fresh and fun. If this sounds good to you, head over to PCIPickleball.com and look for the premium lesson plans. That's PCIPickleball.com and look for the premium lesson plans. Pickleball Coaching International. We help good coaches get even better. All right, welcome back to Pickleball Problems. I'm your host, Mark Renison, and today we are talking about rethinking a couple of the common ways that we think about pickleball, common piece of advice that we give to each other or we give to ourselves or we give to new players. And the first one I want to talk about is when to speed things up. And in fact, it seems sort of weird to say this, but this podcast episode was inspired by a recent video that I posted. Some of you will know that we post a lot of videos in different places, including on an app called TikTok. They're really short, quick videos, get to the point. I'm going to do my best to link to this specific video in the show notes so you can see the video I'm talking about. But let me set the stage for you. This takes place in California at the U.S. Nationals. If you've ever seen it, it's these beautiful green and purple courts with the mountains in the background. Anyway, that's not the important point. The important point is on the near side of the court, you've got two women, and on the far side, you've got two other women. And this is like a I mean, I guess it's a 3.0 women's doubles match, probably 50 plus. Anyway, the point of the video is that um, we talk about how 
we were often told that pickleball is all about the soft game, right? They should hit these soft shots. And sure enough, you see in this video, you see the serving team hit a third shot drop and they make their way up to the net. They play another drop. The other side plays a dink. They have a couple dinks, right? None of these dinks were like especially exceptional. We're talking about a 3.0 pickleball after all. But, you know, they were definitely trying to play dinks. Someone had told them, hey, you should use the soft game. You should play these dinks. And that's what they were trying to do, both teams. What was interesting is, though, the team on the far side, they receive a ball that wasn't really much higher than any of the other dinks, but she decides to just take a swing. She just hits it hard at the woman on the near side. And the woman on the near side, who's straight ahead of her, hits that ball up kind of high, and she's got another chance to hit hard. And then the other one hits hard, and eventually they put it away. And the point was here, even though there was no obviously high ball that was a chance to put away, right? You all know if you get a high ball, you should hit it hard. These balls weren't obviously high, but still hitting hard was effective. It turned into a chance, turned into an opportunity. And that's because at the skill level these players were playing with, even though the ball was received kind of low, when the one player hit it with some speed, that was good enough. That was good enough to create the opportunity to set up the ball that got a little bit higher that then is easier to attack. And so the point of the, this video is urging the viewer in this case, I'm urging the listener, you, to maybe not fall into this trap of thinking of unattackable balls, right? If a ball is low, you cannot attack it. I remember years ago talking with Simone Jardim as she's sort of advancing as a player. And I said, hey, like, what's the biggest thing now that's changing? And she says, I realize now there are no unattackable balls. And I think this is a really poignant moment, right? When she says, Mark, there are no unattackable balls. Every ball is an opportunity to cause trouble. And maybe that's what we need to do is to rethink a little bit. Attackable, you know, we think, okay, this could be a winner. And that's not so much we're thinking about. That's not, certainly not what we see here in this video. She doesn't hit a winner, but she speeds it up and gets a high ball. And I think that's what Simone was saying too, is like every ball is a chance. Every ball is an opportunity to cause some trouble. And what causing trouble looks like can change from ball to ball to ball, depending on all sorts of variables, where you're standing, where your opponent's standing, the kind of ball you received. Does it matter if it's on your forehand or backhand? Does it matter if you're trying to hit this ball cross court or down the line. There's lots of variables. But the point I think Simone was making, and the point that I'm trying to make here in this video and today in this podcast, is that there are a lot more opportunities to cause trouble than I think sometimes we think. And of course, as we advance as players, you know, you have to be a little bit more selective about when you do it because your opponents are likely better at punishing you if you make a poor choice. But in this video, you could see balls that conventionally we would say, oh, this is a ball. This is an unattackable ball. This is a ball you should hit soft. They don't. They speed it up instead and they get rewarded for it. So my suggestion to you is that you start to go out and maybe play a few experimental games, right? And see if you can be a little more offensively minded uh, when you're playing. Experiment. See, are there some opportunities out there that maybe you sort of were missing earlier? And see what happens. Test the water. See if your opponents can handle those speed ups. Maybe you can attack a few more balls than you thought. Hey there, it's Mark. Pickleball Problems is brought to you by Selkirk TV. Selkirk TV gives you a front row seat to live pickleball matches, past championships, on-demand skills training, including my pretty great show called Pickleball Today, as well as behind-the-scenes insights and so much more. Available in the App Store and on Google Play, Selkirk TV is the perfect app for any pickleball fan. Download the app today for free and get started watching pickleball's very best online content. Selkirk TV.
Welcome back to Pickleball Problems. I'm your host, Mark Renison. Today, we're talking about two examples of conventional wisdom when it comes to pickleball that I think maybe we should push back against a little bit. Earlier on in the show today, we were talking about speeding things up, attackable balls, going for a little bit more in situations that maybe we previously thought we couldn't, or maybe we're told we couldn't. So there's another uh, example that I'm going to give you right now of where I posted something online and then it got a lot of feedback and now I'm turning this into a podcast episode. And this actually has to do with an article I wrote a long, long time ago, 2017, believe it or not, just a wee pup. And the article is called When Dinking is Dumb. And this was in a response to uh, a post I saw. I run something on Facebook called the Instructor Pickleball Instructor Forum. Check it out if you're a pickleball instructor. And someone, I think our good friend, uh, Larry posted on the instructor forum, asked the question, said, Hey, if you were working with, I think he said 3.0, if you're working with 3.0 players in your lessons, what percentage of the time do you spend working on dinking? And then various people, various members of that forum uh, came back and answered that question. What do you think? And it ranged. You know, it ranged from some people saying, oh, not very much. Some people said, oh, as much as they could handle. Someone said, oh, 90%. And especially when I push back against them a little bit, just asking the question, why? Why do you spend all this time with them? They'd say things like, oh, I think it's important that people learn the basics. I talked about the word fundamentals. Oh, it's the main part of the game. It's the hardest to learn. And it reminded me of this article that I'd written back in 2017 called When Dinking is Dumb. And I'm not going to summarize that article for you. I'll put it in the show notes so you can read it yourself. But here's where I am on this idea. Let's imagine that you're a beginner player. Not even a beginner player. Let's imagine you're a novice player, right? You're just out there to learn. And you come to my lesson and we spend a whole bunch of time working on dinks. Dink, 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 dink. You learn to play slow and low. You can hit on your forehand and backhand. You can hit cross court. You can hit down the line. You become a very good dinker. Now, let's say tomorrow you go out and you play with other people of a similar skill level. And let's think about how often you get to, get to actually use those dinks in a really meaningful way. Well, the answer is probably not very much. And the reason is, a dink is a response to a particular kind of shot, right? When do you play a dink? Well, I'm quite certain, I'm guessing, listener, that when you're up at the net and you get a high ball, you don't dink those. What do you do when you get a high ball? You smack it, right? As you should, because if you get a high ball, you can hit down. If you can hit down, you can hit hard and still keep the ball in play. And that's the whole point of moving up towards the net is getting those high balls, those opportunities to apply pressure with speed, right? So a dink is a response to a drop. You play a dink when you don't get that high ball, when you can't hit down on it. And a drop, right, is a good way to neutralize net opponents. Opponents at the net, I should say, right? But here's the thing. Drops are really hard to hit, really hard to hit well. Maybe you're nodding at home right now. Think about how often you try to hit a drop and it ends up in the net. Or how often you try to hit a drop and it ends up too high and your opponents smack it. Drops are hard to hit. And consequently, when we look at beginning novice and even many intermediate players, we don't actually see a whole lot of good drops, Right? We see a lot of high balls instead. And the thing is, is that if we don't see a lot of drops, then we shouldn't see a lot of opportunities for dinks. And so we go back to my fictional player that I was working with all day today on their dinks. Well, tomorrow when they go out into the wild and play with other 2.5 or 3.0 players, are they actually going to be in a position where they receive those low balls and they're forced to play a dink? I don't think so. Not very often. 
In the article I'm talking about that I wrote, When Dinking is Dumb, uh, I also embedded a video. And I, I got this video, I just Googled uh, 3.0 tournament pickleball. And the first video that came up, I posted that. And you can see these 3.0 women, they go out, they play their game, they're having a great time, it's a good competitive game. There was like no dinking. And then Perth, there's no dinking because there's no drops. Okay, So I think it's a mistake for instructors to go out and work with their players on something that they're not actually going to use in a meaningful way when they go out and play. Right? There's no right way to play pickleball. I've never seen a rally end and Ben Johns catches the ball and says to someone, oh, you know what? I love the way you played the game properly. You deserve the point. Right? That's not how it works. We win because we put the ball in play once more than our opponents. And so I think it's important for instructors, whether you're doing this formally or informally, is that we think a little bit for ourselves, like not as what the, is the right way to play pickleball, but what is it that's actually going to help my players? What do my players need to succeed? And I would argue that when we're talking about beginning, novice, and intermediate players, they don't need a whole lot of work on dinking. Not because it's not important, but because it's not important for them at the stage that they're at. Because they're rarely going to be put in a position where a dink makes a lot of sense. Now, I don't want to be that guy who just comes out and says, oh, here's everything everyone's doing wrong. Shouldn't spend all this time working on dinks. I'm going to be someone who can do something constructive. So when we come back in just a moment, I'm going to talk about the things that beginning, novice, and intermediate players should actually be focusing on. Hey there, it's Mark. If you like what we're doing here at the show, if you like my approach, it's straightforward, it's to the point, and you are a pickleball instructor or you want to get started, I think you're really going to like what we do over at Pickleball Coaching International. PCI uses this kind of approach when it comes to thinking about pickleball and how we teach players. So head over to PCIPickleball.com, check it out, as well as offering a bunch of pickleball instructor resources. We also do instructor certification, which is 100% online, so you can do it when it works for you, when it's convenient, you don't have to travel, you don't have to wait for me to come to your town, you don't have to miss a day of work, you don't have to stay in hotels just do it online with me. So head over to PCIPickleball.com, Pickleball Coaching International. We help good coaches get even better. Welcome back to Pickleball Problems. Today we're talking about all sorts of myth-busting. Earlier on in the show today, I encouraged you to start to rethink unattackable balls, start to think a little bit more about how you can apply pressure. Currently, we're talking right now about when dinking is dumb, when as an instructor working with beginning, novice, and intermediate players, it doesn't make a lot of sense to work on dinks with them because they're not actually in a position where they need to play those dinks very often. Dinks, of course, are responses to drops, and at beginning, novice, and intermediate levels, you don't see a lot of high-quality drops. So why are we working on the skill that they're not going to need? But what is it that we do see? What can we say that's productive that we should be working on with our beginning novice and intermediate players? Well, I'd argue that there's three or four things. One is a serve. If you can't serve, you can't play. And so making sure that they understand how to serve consistently is important. I think you can even work on other things like controlling the direction of the serve, maybe aiming it towards a weakness, right? You could work maybe moving someone out wide. You could work on the depth of the serve, Right? making it tougher for the opponents to get up to the line after hitting that return of serve, making their journey longer. Maybe you could even work on the speed of the serve, hitting that ball a little bit harder so your opponents have less time to set up. Anyway, you can't play pickleball without a serve, so I would put that on my list as something you should be working on with these beginning novice and intermediate players. I'd also say the return of serve. The return of serve is important, right? If you can't return the serve and put it in play, well, you're going to give up your 11 points pretty quickly. 
And returning serve is not just getting it in play. Of course, consistency is important and should be our priority with beginning, novice, and intermediate players. But we should also think about the depth of the return of serve. Right? Can I hit that return deep enough so that my opponents are farther back when they hit their third shot? So I will have more time to react when I'm up at the non-volley line because now they're hitting from farther away rather than closer. Right? I think it's important when we're returning serve that we can think about the direction we're returning it. Often at beginning, mid- intermediate, and novice levels, players get confused when balls go down the middle. So to occasionally be able to return down the center, good idea. It also improves consistency because you have a big target. Maybe aiming toward the server or toward the returner. Surely, beginning novice and intermediate players can identify when one person's stronger than another and who they'd rather avoid or who they'd rather pick on. So learning to control the direction, I think, would be good. And of course, making sure that they understand the value of coming forward to the net after returning serve, getting up to that non-volley line by the time the opponents are hitting the third shot. And of course, that might mean that they have to control the height of their return as well. Because a low, fast return, even if it's deep, is not going to give them much time to get into position. So I think starting the point effectively, the serve and the return, is a really good thing to work on with your beginning, novice, and intermediate players. I also think learning to hit a third shot that is low is important. And this could be a drop, although I don't think it's very smart to work on drops with beginning, novice, beginning novice players, certainly, at the early stages, because it's such a difficult shot to hit well, and the punishment is so great if you hit it poorly. Also, the reward is quite low if you do hit it well. But hitting a ball low, hitting the ball low, maybe one, one and a half paddle heights over the net, whether it's a drive or a drop, a fastball or a slow ball, I think that's really important. You say to your players, hey, when your opponents are at the net, they are looking for something high and juicy to pounce on. Let's give them the opposite. Let's give them a low ball, right? And learning how to control height uh, is really important, I think, on those third shots. And then finally, I would think, uh, you know, if I had a top four list of things to work on with beginning novice and intermediate players, I'd say being able to handle balls at the net, being able to handle balls at the net. So whether that's a drive that's low, whether that's an attempted drop that sits up high, right, being able to volley up at the net is a really important skill. Could they have to learn how to receive a low and slow ball, which is called a drop? Yeah, of course, that's when the dink comes in. But I wouldn't really prioritize that. I would prioritize more likely balls that are sort of net high or above rather than net high or below on those drops. So that's my suggestion to you. If you're going out working with new players, whether it's like in a really formal way or just casually, um, make sure that they understand sort of basics of serving and returning, coming to the net and keeping those third shots low. But let's not waste time on dinking. Waste time on a skill that they're not really going to need when they play with other players of a similar skill level. Because what kind of a coach works on something their players don't need? Anyway, it's not always bad intent. It's usually just because we have fallen into the same trap that others have fallen into. This is the most important shot, or this is how you're supposed to play. Do not listen to them. Think a little bit about it yourself. What can I do to help my players get better? And you are going to be going a long way to being a good coach. All right, that's it for this episode of Pickleball Problems. I'd love to know what you think about this. What do you think? Am I wrong here with my suggestion that dinking is dumb? Am I wrong here that we should start to play a little more offensively and test the waters? Let me know. Send me an email whether you agree or disagree or you're in between. Mark at thirdshotsports.com is the best way to get in touch. Of course, you can find us on all the social media, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. 
I mentioned TikTok. That's where we post a ton of our videos. If you are on TikTok, look up Third Shot Sports. Uh, many of those videos get reposted elsewhere as well. And if you would like me to talk about anything on a show in the future, you know what? You can send me an email and better yet, send me the email as a voice memo. If you're listening to this on a phone, you probably have a voice memo app where you can just talk into your phone, ask me the question. I'd love to play it on the show and then give you an answer. Until next time, I'm Mark Redison. Thanks for listening.